Are you ready? You better get ready. Get ready to dive into the heart of local sports action. Broadcasting live from the heartland of Missouri, welcome to the SEMO Scramble on SEMO ESPN. Get set. Because it's time to catch up on the latest local highlights, in-depth analysis, and interviews from the Boot Heel and beyond. Here we go. With your host, Rusty Hendrickson. And good Saturday morning to you. Clay Harrell, Rusty Hendricks, right here on the SEMO Scramble on SEMO ESPN Radio. That's 1220 AM, 93.5 FM, and online at com. You can also check us out on the podcast page. Just go to com slash podcast and check out the SEMO Scramble you can go to outlets such as Spotify or other places that you may find your podcast as well. So make sure and check out and follow the SEMO Scramble. All right, Clay, let's go ahead and jump right in. Let's talk a little bit about the the latest news in uh, the St. Louis Blues. Of course, earlier this week, it was after the, the game on Tuesday night, Clay, in which the St. Louis Blues relieved. They fired head coach Craig Berube. Uh, so he is no longer the head coach. Doug Armstrong had a presser, and we'll get to some of that here in a moment, some of his uh, comments from that presser. But I think shocking a lot, of, a lot of people as well from that decision. You know, look, it's no question the St. Louis Blues, Clay, haven't been playing very good hockey. No question that they're underperforming. No question that they have been inconsistent. But there is a question as... Is it Craig Berube's fault? And in my opinion, it's it's really not. I mean, okay, is everyone blameless? No. I mean, is 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 there some things that maybe he should be doing better? Um, he should he be getting guys to play harder for him and, and better for him? Sure. Is there some um, fine tuning that needs to be done as far as just the actual play and the X's and O's and you know that you could argue that as well. But as far as is he worthy of losing his job? The the, the guy that brought the only Stanley Cup to St. Louis, to the St. Louis Blues, okay, the 2019 winner, and a guy that had an excellent 2020, had an excellent 2021 season as well. And once uh, some of those guys from that team started leaving, that's when we saw the drop-off from this team. So in my opinion, uh, the biggest reason why we've seen that is that decision to not sign Alex Petrangelo, right? Since then, it seems like the Blues have have kind of taken a downward turn. What is your thoughts on the Craig Berube decision to uh, to fire him from Doug Armstrong and this early in the year? Yeah, I mean, it feels like it's going to be another one of those big mistakes that you kind of, you maybe, the joke is you look at the Cardinals and they, all the players they let go. I mean, you could kind of say the same thing about the Blues here ever since they won the Cup. I mean, if you look at, like you said, not re-signing Petrangelo, uh, Barbashev goes over to Vegas last year in a trade. Obviously, O'Reilly goes over. He's in Nashville now. Tarasenko's gone. Perron doesn't even get an offer from the Blues. Vince Dunn's the number one defenseman in, in Seattle. Jake Wallman's the number one defenseman in Detroit. <laughs> like, it's maybe time to start having the conversation about the Blues letting players go instead of the Cardinals. But, I mean, this isn't on Craig Ruby. I, I think, kind of like the old saying goes, it's easier to fire a coach than it is 23 players or however many are, are on an active roster. But I think, to me... Uh, you kind of have to look to the guy that has put the roster together. Um, and Jeremy Rutherford of The Athletic had a really good article uh, about how it was Doug Armstrong's roster, not Craig Bruby's coaching, that was kind of the issue here. And I think this is the first time, Rusty, maybe you could think of another time, that I've seen almost everybody in the fan base 
on the same page that they think that this was, you know, not the right decision. Well, we had a poll up on our SEMO ESPN Twitter page. I don't know if you were able to check that out or not. You know, the late last check on that, I, I, I we put down, was it the right decision to let Craig Berube go? 73% of the voters on SEMO ESPN Twitter page said no, 73%. So that's a pretty large margin there. Interesting, like you said, I mean, you can take some some parallels to the Cardinals and a lot of, you know, fans have been upset a little bit with some of the management, some of the decisions that they have made. You know, beforehand, maybe because it's just the most recent um, title was in 2019, was the, was the Blues, but a lot of people, I think the equity that GM Doug Armstrong, what he's built up, a lot of people have kind of had that mantra of, hey, you know, in Doug we trust, right? I mean, believing that he can lead them to the right way and that he's going to make, you know, prudent and, and smart decisions for the club. I don't know, maybe that has waned a little bit. Maybe that's not quite the case anymore for uh, for John Mozalek for the Cardinals. I mean, there's definitely been some, some doubt in what he can do, and that's definitely changed because, hey, it's been over a decade since they last won a, a championship. So I don't know, maybe some of that luster is rubbing off that cup run for, from Doug Armstrong as well. I think the luster that started to rub off the, the offseason Alex Petrangelo left. Like, the whole reason that they didn't, like Petrangelo did not sign in St. Louis was he Armstrong wouldn't give him a no move clause. What's the difference between giving Alex Petrangelo, who's still one of the best defensemen in the game, a no move clause, and you're going to give Nick Letty, Tory Krug, I think Justin Falk has a no trade clause, Pareko has a no trade. It's like so you wouldn't give Petrangelo a no movement clause, but you give all these guys who are now at this point the Achilles heel of this team. I mean, Pareko's been great this year as compared to last year. He took a lot of heat. He's been he's been great for the Blues. But so why are you giving all those guys no trade clauses? But you wouldn't give Alex Petrangelo, your captain, probably, I won't say the best defenseman ever because Al McKinnis, I think Chris Pronger would have a word there. But he's a, a true number one. Top three to five defenseman in your franchise's history wouldn't get a no movement clause. And to what you said about a poll, Randy Carricker of 101 ESPN put out a poll. It got 3,100 votes of what do you think of the Blues firing of Craig Berube, good move or bad move? 91% yeah. said See? bad move. And it's just like, it just feels kind of like it was out of left field when it happened last night. Right, the uh, timing seems a little weird, and and that's the thing is like what changed? Like you, it was kind of said coming in that you would be fine taking a wild card spot or getting third in the division. You I mean you're right there? You're on the outside, just on the outside looking in of a playoff spot. If wins and losses don't matter, is that what you said? Is it the process, or did I mean did Bruby's voice just kind of fall upon deaf ears after a while? I'm really not sure. And I mean, if this doesn't work, what's the next move? I mean, I put out a tweet. Last night, just asking, like not even being sarcastic, like wh- what happens next? Is Drew Bannister really going to come in and do anything differently that that Craig Bruby didn't do? Doubtful. Like that's what I'm saying. So who's who goes next? You're not going to be able to trade Tory Krug. You're not going to be able to trade Justin Falk. You're definitely not going to be able to trade Nick Letty. So is Doug next? Like it's a serious question at that point. I feel like. Yeah. So let's hear from Doug Armstrong. Get his thoughts on the reasoning and why the move was made. I haven't really slept much since the Columbus game. Then the Chicago game was a sleepless night. And then you hope that the Detroit game will be different. But your mind is starting to work when you're, when you're everybody's homecoming game. You know, it's, a, it's not a good feeling. And um, the last three games, I shared it, I think, with the leadership group that when you when you get up and you read the clippings the next day and and uh, the players from the opposition the coaches are 
What a character win. What a gutsy win. I can't believe we did that last night. We're undermanned. We played the night before against a rested team. So if they feel that way about their performance, <laughs> how would we feel about our performance? Not I personally didn't feel well about our performance. And you, you try and extend someone you have as much respect for and Craig as much latitude and, and rope as possible. But last night's game against a depleted Detroit team that was tired looked a lot like a depleted Columbus team that was tired and a depleted Chicago team. And there just wasn't a feeling that there was something that was going to change today if we just came in and went back to work that would make tomorrow different. Now, I don't know if tomorrow is going to be different. I just know one of the things that has been removed from the equation that, that we can focus on it was the head coach. And now the, the, everything, when, when you make that change, everything gets, you know, we're getting now to the center of the hourglass. All right, you just heard... You just heard what Doug Armstrong had to say there in the presser, uh, Clay. So what are what are your thoughts? What did you uh, glean from that? Yeah, I mean, I don't think anything's going to change anyway. I mean, and that's no disrespect to Drew Bannister. I, I mean, I think at this point he's maybe dealt the toughest hand out of anybody here. He goes from coaching the AHL team to coming up now here, and it's like, obviously I know a lot of these guys have played for him before, but it's like, you're dealt the tough hand of coming in, and maybe and maybe it's not a tough hand. Maybe he's coming in with no expectations. Maybe that's the way he's looking at it. There's no pressure. This team hasn't hasn't played well, and, and maybe he's kind of playing with house money at this point. But I don't think Drew Bannister is going to come up and, and change anything with this team. The only way you're going to change something with this team is by making trades. And I, I don't know. Like I said, we were kind of talking, you know, before we before this. Just where do you even start? Like. Can you get a, person, a team to take on a Jordan Cairo? Maybe. Pavel Buchnevich is an option, I think, at this point, just because are you going to pay him whatever his extension dollars are worth? Probably not. I mean, it clearly hasn't panned out so far, the Thomas and Cairo extension. So it's kind of just feels like you're like on a roller coaster, but you're stuck at the bottom, just kind of waiting to get on the up and up and and, and uh, getting back to the mountaintop that they've you know been once in however many years. It's uh, not, I think this might be, Maybe this is dramatic, but this might be one of you know, the like the darkest times to be a St. Louis Blues fan. Definitely of late, for sure. Yeah, interesting that Doug said that. Hey, we're everyone's homecoming game right now. I, did I mean, like that, that, that quote. was an interesting one. You know, he just talked about how reading the newspaper clippings from the other teams and talking about how they were they thought about the games. And Doug was gone for a couple of weeks in Europe, and it just seems like during that time something changed in his viewpoint. And that's basically what it is. Look. He even said in the presser, we won't play this part, but he basically said that he's, I'm paraphrasing, but, uh, you know, that Craig, it wasn't really his fault. He basically admitted that he felt that, you know, he's has a lot of respect for him, that he appreciate everything he's done um, for the organization, but, um, you know, he's not blaming Craig or anything like that. So it's like, well, then why make the move? So it's basically, you know, he alluded to that he's trying to make a change to make a change. So he, he said that, look... I need to remove one of the variables. So basically, I need to figure out, is it the players or is it the coach? What What is the problem? And the only thing, like you said, only thing I can really do right now, the easy thing to do is to remove the coach. So then we'll watch and see what they do, see how they play. You know, they played um, on Thursday night. See how they go you know, through this stretch. And it is it 
going to be that much of the same, or is it going to be maybe a little bit of a, a kick up, and you know maybe they they play well for a little while. I don't know. I think this is going to really show down the stretch here. This through this trade deadline, this off season, it's going to be really important for Doug Armstrong on where he finds the direction of this team. Yeah, and I mean, look, if if the team needed this kind of kick in the pants, this is acquiring Craig Ruby, the guy that brought you Stanley Cup, if this is what it takes to get him going, then I guess it is what it is. I mean, this is gut check time for him now. Like, if you don't come and perform at this point, you can't say it's on Craig Berube. You can't. You know what I mean? Like, this is on you at this point. And Jordan Bennington said, uh, talking to the kind of the pool reporters there, I guess him and, and Chen were available in the locker room following Armstrong's press conference. Bennington said, we've got to be proud to wear that blue note jersey and proud to be a part of this organization and play for this city. If you're not, just get out of here because we're not wasting time. These are special years, and being able to play in the NHL is a privilege. That's all I mean. That's all you got to say, I think, at that point. If you don't want to be there, get out. And I and I obviously, we're not in the locker room every day covering the team. We don't know maybe who that's directed at, if at anybody. But it certainly feels like there are players on this team just watching them play that aren't giving 100% every time they're on the ice. And I think that is the main point of Doug Armstrong, is that he's just trying to see some consistency with this group. And he wants them to play hard every night, to give it all every night. And that obviously wasn't happening with this with this group. We saw it last year as well. We saw periods of that. You know, there were some bad apples. I think it's interesting too. Just literally, what hours? You know, a day or two before this decision with uh, Craig Berube that we saw Jacob Rana on you know waivers, and he was a guy that there was obviously a clear. It clearly wasn't working out in St. Louis. So again, I think it, that the timing again to me, is a little off. I feel like that if you weren't going to fire him last year, you should have gave him a longer leash this year and to see how things go. You know, at the end of the season, if whatever, if things don't work out, you feel like, look, it's just same-o, same-o. At that point, fine. I can understand it a little bit more than I do now. But again, the, the timing, more than anything, it just seems a little off to me. But let's hear what the, the expectations are for now, the interim, the new head coach for the St. Louis Blues, and that is Drew Bannister. What we want to stress as we're going through whatever we're going through now is a, a level of compete and a level of accountability. And whoever, starting with Drew tomorrow night, that's his mandate. Accountability and compete. And those will be, that can come with a guy that's never coached a game in the NHL, or that can come with a guy with a thousand games in the NHL, but it has to be that has to be at the forefront of, of what what I think will help us turn this around. Okay, you heard the the thoughts there from Doug about the the compete level and then the accountability is what is expecting from Drew Bannister. Uh, that's not really easy things to do. Do you think that's something that he can accomplish? Yeah, I mean, you said it is not going to be easy. I mean, it, it, it'll be interesting to see what what that looks like. Is it is it healthy scratching one of your $8 million guys? Is it, I mean, I don't know. I'm glad, I will say I'm glad I'm not in Drew Bannister's shoes and having to make those decisions because, I mean, he's, like I said, he's dealt a tough hand, and I think you just got to come in and guess they can like your play with house money. It certainly isn't a good position to be in. It's like, I mean, what was the expectations going into this year, Clay? It seemed, I mean, everything Doug Armstrong said, you can go back and read articles in the Post-Dispatch, The Athletic, NHL.com. Pretty much what they are, right? Pretty much what they are. 500 team, they might, they won a wild card spot. Doug felt like third place in the Central would be easier than maybe beating out some of those Pacific teams, which Craig Ruby's got you, kind of what you thought your expectations were. I mean, 
I'm not overly disappointed with uh, the way the season has gone. It's kind of what I expected as part of like the retool we've been talking about, right? You'd like to see some improvement from some of your higher end guys, like a like a Kairu, like a Thomas. Those those are the ones where you look at, man. You'd like to see that a little bit better. You'd like to see the defense improve more than what it has. But nonetheless, I don't know. We'll see how the rest of the season plays out, Clay. And we will see. I think as the trade deadline approaches too in the coming months, we'll kind of get a clearer picture of. If it is, like you said, going to be three to five years, is it going to be six to seven years, or maybe it is the one-year retool, like they said. But I think uh, once the trade deadline hits in a couple of months, we'll have a better a better idea of what to expect. All right. So, again, uh, game tonight and another look at head coach Drew Bannister for the St. Louis Blues behind the bench. All right, shifting gears a little bit, let's talk a little college basketball. So right here on SEMO ESPN on the hotline, talking things over with head coach Rika Patterson of the SEMO women's basketball team, Clay Harrell, and Rusty Hendricks. Coach, uh, first off, I want to ask you a question as we're getting close to Christmas time. Do you have a favorite Christmas tradition or maybe a favorite Christmas movie or Christmas song do you like? Um, Christmas tradition, I would say, as the kid of two basketball coaches, um, it was pretty normal in our household that on Christmas Day, you know, we were watching the NBA all day. <laughs> so that would be a nice Christmas tradition that we had. That's that's a good one. Should be some good matchups this year as well. But uh, let's get a little bit uh, into your team. You got had a little bit of time off here. You finally, seems like back at home, been on a nice road stretch here. Had a game in Columbia and a couple of games in Indiana. In between that was a game in Springfield and Carbondale. So finally back at home, you get uh, on Tuesday, you get an Eastern Kentucky and then uh, University of Evansville on Thursday. So uh, some nice stretch here at home. And just kind of what are you looking from from your team and, and how are you trying to improve right now? Yeah, it would be great to be back home. We have played a very tough non-conference schedule with a lot of games on the road, and winning on the road is a difficult thing to do. Um, but really proud of how we have competed minus the Missouri game. I thought we competed, you know, pretty well, and we improved from week to week. So as we go into this last week of non-conference, I want to see us continue to sharpen um, up on our identity. Uh, we've had to figure that out in this non-conference schedule, and I think we know who we are. So that's our focus going into these last two games. Coach, how important was that non-conference schedule kind of that sets you guys up now heading into conference? Was that kind of something that you knew it was going to be tough going in and that was something that was kind of preached and talked about before that the season started? Well, you know, this schedule was built based off what we thought our team was going to look like. And we did think we were going to have a couple more upperclassmen that were part of our program um, that had been through the ups and downs and knew how to win on the road. Um, and then, obviously, our roster shifted from the end of last year to the beginning of this year. Um, so it was made for a different roster. However, you know, the, the, you don't always get what you want in life. But in this, we've been able to learn so much about ourselves. And our new players, our young kids, have been able to get really good minutes that we hope will pay off come conference season. Well, you mentioned you know, some of the young players you know, I think it's a good thing you're getting a lot of experience with some of these young players right now that I think could help you down the road. I mean, I feel like right now you're getting some uh, some good shooting uh, out of your team for the most part, and, but it uh, seems like still trying to figure out some things on defense. Is that fair to say? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we 
we are letting teams do things too easily. Um, and I think you have to credit our opponents again. Like we're going on the road. Most of the time we're playing teams um, with rosters that look much different than the rosters in the OVC. And so with that being said, they've been able to kind of do some things that we really didn't want them to do, but we had to figure that part out. So, yes, I hope that our defense improves. That will be a focal point for us, both individual defense and our team defense. Um, and then we want to continue to sharpen up. We were scoring really well early on. Uh, we've hit a little bit of a bump, so I'm hoping that being back home and having some time to get in the gym and shoot and not prep for an opponent will allow us to get back to scoring the basketball the way we like. You know, while you're watching these young players maybe step up and fill some big roles, how important is a player like Jalea Green who has kind of been through uh, the grind of a season just to kind of maybe lead the way for this team? Oh, yeah, super important for someone who has experience, who has um, been able to put us on our back a year ago and be our leading scorer. Um, you know, I thought her performance at Northwestern and then most recently in, at Indiana State, you know, I don't know if she'll score 23 a night, but knowing that she will go and be aggressive allows the rest of the team, you know, an opportunity to, to relax and just do what they do well. Would you say that that's maybe the biggest area of her game that you've seen improve over her time at SEMO, just kind of her aggressiveness and willingness to go to the basket, or have there been other areas you've seen her improve as well? No, yeah, definitely her aggressiveness to the basket and getting to the free throw line. Um, that has probably been the biggest improvement. Um, I think as the more she does that, then the more you, she'll be able to do other things as well, but it all starts with her being aggressive. Well, Coach, we kind of alluded to the conference schedule is going to be coming up. The first game will be against uh, – University of Southern Indiana on December the 29th. So you were picked preseason as the, the, the fifth team in conference. Do you feel like this team can uh, break that those expectations and excel above that? You know, I, I, I believe so. Um, if you look at our conference right now, a lot of teams have played a very tough non-conference schedule. That's kind of just what we have to do in our league. And it's tough to get home games in our league. So looking at the records, I'm not sure if that's an indicator of, you know, how tough this league is going to be. But I do think if we continue to grow and improve that we have a chance to compete um, and put ourselves in a position to, you know, compete for a championship, which is what everybody wants to do as we turn the page into getting a conference play. Coach, another player I wanted to ask you about was Alicia Doyle. She's in her second year and she stepped up big and she's been a secondary scorer behind Julia Green. What kind of jump have you seen from her this season? Yeah, she came out of the gate firing on that first game at SIU and is continuing to you know shoot the ball pretty well. She is someone who works so hard every day. She empties her tank, and um, you you hope that players that empty their tank are able to be rewarded. And I think you know her playing alongside Jalea, you know having our other freshmen kind of come along, then it's going to be difficult for people to you know pick on one person to maybe put their best defensive player when we have many options on the floor. Another player coach is Abigail Stevens. You know, you've inserted her in the starting lineup over the past several games, and you know, she's one that's impressed me. Look, you know, she's not going to have the the best stat line. She's not going to score the most points. Um, you know, she's not going to have the the gaudy numbers, but she does a lot of little things. It seems like well for this team, and more than anything, coach, it seems like uh, she just plays really hard. Again, does those little things. Do you agree with that? Yeah, she definitely does the little things. I mean, if you look at her numbers from the last game, I think it was like 8.7 rebounds. You know, she finds a way to go go in there and get rebounds and get offensive rebounds. I think she's second on the team. Yeah, in offense, total offensive rebounds. Um, that gives us extra possessions. Um, our hope is that her shot starts to fall a little bit more from the three, but in that paint area, she's been able to be like a little bit of a zone buster, which has been great. 
Um, and then, you know, she's comfortable with the basketball and making decisions, and she pretty much makes good decisions with the ball. So it's definitely nice having her out there. And, again, she's an experienced player. Coach, we kind of touched on it at the beginning, but just like Rusty mentioned, you're now getting set for a four-game stretch at home. How much of a jolt is it just to be back home and kind of be in your normal routine of being here in Cape? Oh, it's great to be back home. I mean, listen, that bus can um, beat you up a little bit. And it's funny because the players are going to be seeing the chiropractor uh, in a couple of days because of that. But uh, it'd be nice. It's nice to play at home. It's nice to play in front of our fans in the show me center. Nice to be able to sleep in our own bed um, and shoot on rims that we are comfortable with and that we know excited about it. No, Coach, you have a couple of tough losses this year. Some games that kind of stand out is that SIU game to begin the season, uh, the UIC game, even Northwestern. It seems like you guys were were in each of those games have opportunities to, to potentially you know find a way to to squeak it out, but just seems like in those games just not playing the full four quarters per se. And so, how do you find that consistency the rest of the way here? Yeah, we have been competing in in pretty much every game and uh, have put ourselves. We fight back. We definitely do that. You know, if we're down, we're going to find a way to fight back, which is great. But we have to change our mentality. I think to start games number one. And then now that, you know, certain players are starting to step up for us a little bit more, then we figured out some rotations that work better. And hopefully that we can use that information that we've learned from game to game going into, these again, these last two games of non-conference and find some consistency and, you know, learn how to win the, the quarter, win the half, and then, you know, win the game. Has there been a particular area for you that, You've been trying to have this team to focus on and continue to just uh, really iron out, so to speak. You know, it's funny you say that. I told the team today we had a couple. Of, we had a day off, um, a couple of days off for finals, and so this is our first time having a team practice this week. And I told them, I said, "This is on me. I don't think I've done a good job of making sure that we master something. And now that I know what our identity is, we are going to focus on mastering our identity, playing to that." And I've learned that this team, as far as what they need in prep for our opponents, you know, what's going to help us play our best basketball when we're playing that, what does that look like? And then we're just going to kind of hammer that home. And we are going to focus on that, um, mastering us, not, not our opponents, but mastering us so that no matter what our opponents do, we know exactly what to do. And as long as we compete the same way, the same way, that puts us in a position to have the success that we want. There we go. I was waiting for you to, to put that in, the SEMO way. <laughs> All right. Well, Coach, again, appreciate the time. Thanks so much for joining us. And uh, just good luck the rest of the way. We'll be rooting for you. Thank you. We appreciate it. All right. Thanks a lot. Take care. Bye-bye. All right. That was Head Coach Rika Patterson here on the SEMO Scramble. So what do you think, Clay? Uh, what are your thoughts? Uh, I know you probably haven't seen a ton of the SEMO women this year, but just uh, – your thoughts on them and, you know, kind of what Coach Patterson was talking about from her club. Yeah, I mean, I think kind of like we talked about, being home for four games, I think that could be a big jolt for that team. I know, I mean, looking at their schedule, two and seven, I don't think is kind of indicative of maybe what they have on that roster. I think they're a better team than, than the record shows. And I think this is a chance they get to come home and they get to prove it. you got a chance to get back to a game or two below 500 and really set yourself up for some success. And, you know, all that matters is conference play at this point. You want to try to run the OVC, and I think, you know, pick fifth, like you said, but I think they got a good chance to make some noise this year. You know, we've mentioned Julia Green and Alicia Doyle. Those two are the top two scorers for the Redhawks. So, but to have 
you know, sustains su- success, you almost need a third scorer, someone else to kind of step up and, and to be that aid. So whoever that may be, maybe it's a Julia Sion on a, on a night, maybe it's a Amaya Buchanan, a Kylie Flowers, who knows? I, I, don't, I don't know. It could be anybody, but I think there there needs to be someone else to kind of step in to that uh, kind of third tier and uh, to help this team out. Again, they've been shooting it fairly well overall as a team, uh, just finding that consistency. And, you know, again, they've talked about how they, you know, trying to tighten things up defensively. They have the, the talent, but just, you know, honing in on that, just making sure you're staying true to your assignments, uh, knowing what you're doing. And, and that's part of just the, the young growing pains for some of these young players as well. I think the more we see of them, the more they're going to get better. Yeah, you know, to kind of go along with what you said about the third score, so far it's been Deja Richmond this year. She's averaging just about nine points a game, and I think if you can get that up to somebody maybe averaging 10, 11 points a game, I think that maybe evens out to some more wins on the other side, just having that third score on the floor. Um, I think it go a long way for this club. And again, you know, you're playing Mizzou, you're playing Northwestern and, and Purdue and teams like that. It's, you know, numbers might be skewed a little bit the other way. And I think once it, you get to back to playing teams, and the Ohio Valley, I think maybe you do see that third score come on the rise when you're not playing schools uh, that are in a Power 5 conference. Yeah, and for Deja Richmond, a lot of it for her, you know, being that freshman, uh, she has all kinds of ton of talent, and she actually is a good defender. However, she gets in trouble sometimes with fouling. So it's the fouls, and for, with her, it's the turnovers. Those are the two uh, kind of issues that she's trying to work through. So, so you can, she can cut down on those turnovers, cut down on those personal fouls that she's committing, and we may have something there. And, you know, also, too, to, to add to it, you know, the Red Hawks are missing Sophie Buzzard, uh, a player that, you know, she's a, you know, senior and uh, elder statesman, and she's been there, done that, but uh, she's dealt with injuries, unfortunately, throughout her career and having to deal with that again this year, uh, out for the year with that knee injury. So she's someone that, you know, she can score. She's a good shooter and just a good all-around player for the Red Hawks. She'd be a good leader, but unfortunately she's having to do that from the bench this year. So she's someone I think that's especially – uh, the Red, Ho- Red Hawks are missing this year. Yeah, I mean, I think that would be the ultimate steadying presence, right? Like, to, to really throw, you know, Julia Green, Alicia Doyle alongside Sophie Buzzard, because I think at that point, Sophie's probably your first scorer, at that, your leading scorer at that point, and then you kind of throw Alicia and Julia alongside her. Well, there's your three your three main scores that you know you can count on to get you 10 to 15 points a night. I think not having Sophie Buzzard out there is obviously a huge loss uh, for that team this year. We'll keep track on it and keep rooting for the Red Hawks, so... Uh, again, they will not play again until Tuesday. Uh, it's a home game here in Cape Trout at the Show Me Center against Eastern Kentucky. They'll play on Thursday against Evansville and then open up uh, conference play against Southern Indiana on Friday, December the 29th. And after that, it'll be Moorhead State on Sunday. So four straight games at home. So, folks, if you haven't uh, done so, make sure and go out and check out the SEMA uh, women. Root them on as as Actually, a lot of good promotional-type days and items coming up here as well uh, for SEMO Athletics, so make sure and check those out. All right, welcome back into the SEMO Scramble here on SEMO ESPN Radio, talking things over with head coach David Heeb and Clay Hurl, the Southeast Missourian, Rusty Hendricks here on SEMO ESPN. So first of all, Coach, appreciate you joining us. How's things going? Yeah, so far so good. I appreciate you guys having me. Well, tell you what, we want to 
you know, take a look at your team this year for the Delta girls having another solid season and high expectations for this group as well. And some good wins in there. Already uh, three wins over 100 points. So uh, we we got the scoring going for us, Coach. Yeah, our uh, this group, you know, we've we've led the entire state in scoring uh, the last you know two years, and so they look like they're they're on track to do that again this year. And uh, you know, a lot of that's led by those three you know really good guards that we've had. They've played their entire high school career together, and I really like how the way the rest of the team is starting to kind of fill in around them. Coach, you know, one of those players that you talked about is Jade Berry, and I know on multiple occasions we've talked about her and the impact she's had. I mean, she's had a 41-point game this season. You called her a basketball genius. For the people that haven't got to see her play, can you just tell them why that is? Well, you know, Jade, I've coached Jade since she was uh, in the sixth grade, and she she just has a really pure decision-making process. And what I mean by that is, from the time she's little, what we've tried to teach her is just throw it to who's open. You know, and I remember one, one vivid example. When she was in the sixth grade, she was passing to a kid on the team who was, you know, one of the kids that wasn't as strong of a player, and she couldn't catch the ball yet. Jade would pass her the ball, and she'd drop it, and we would just tell her, Jade, keep throwing her the ball. It's the right play. And so as she's got older, you know, she makes such good decisions because she just makes the simplest play over and over and over. She's not fancy at all but she just makes the routine play at such a high rate, and she's so unselfish. And, and that's one thing you mentioned, the 41-point game, that we've encouraged her to do this year is to be more aggressive and, and look for her shot more. And, you know, so far this year she's doing that. You know, and you could probably speak more to this, but just watching her play, it just feels like when it does come time to make a decision, like she breaks things down, and it seems like the game is just so slow for her. Yeah, absolutely. She she just has incredible uh, court vision, and uh, you know I'll I'll drop a couple names out there for you know people that are fans of the basketball in the area that remember. You know I coached boys for a long time, and I would say that Jade is probably as good a passer as any kid I've had since the guy I coached named Bobby Hatchett. Wow. And uh, you know Bobby was an incredible player and had you know probably the best vision of any kid I ever coached, and I would put Jade in that same category. Well, Coach, uh, coming off, again, another great season last year, uh, four straight district titles, of course, that uh, second-place finish in 2022. What are the expectations this year, Coach? Can you make it back to state? I, I believe we can. You know, uh, our goal every year is to, you know, I I believe there's probably in a given year in Missouri, you look at the entire state, there's three or four teams that have a realistic shot at winning a state title. And all you can hope for is to be one of those teams, you know, at the end and catch a little luck. And I really feel like that we have been three years in a row. We got beaten in the quarterfinals by two uh, when Addie and uh, Presley were freshmen. We got beaten in the state finals when they were sophomores and Jade was a freshman. And then last year, we lost the two-point quarterfinal game in the craziest way imaginable. And it just leaves a bad taste in your mouth. And I give these kids a lot of credit. They have come back and worked really hard. And, you know, that's our goal is, is by the end of the year, we just want to be one of those teams with the shot to win it. And uh, I, I feel like they're on track to do that right now. Coach, kind of building off that, what? and this might seem like a simple question, but I think there's so many factors that go into it. What does it take to be one of those teams from just a, a mentality standpoint and getting through the grind of a season? That's a great question. I, you know, I've said forever, you know, when I coached the boys, we won two state titles. Uh, you know, I've been up there taking four team state. And to win the state tournament, back, you know, years ago when there was an extra round in the playoffs and stuff, you'd have to win seven games in a row to win the state tournament. 
you're not going to play your A game seven games in a row. It's impossible. So what I've told kids forever is you have to be able to win on a night when you're playing your C game. When everything's not going great, some kid on the other team is red hot, the referees are making a bad call, whatever. Like you have to win on the night when it's hard, when your best player's in foul trouble, whatever. How can you win that game? And so that's what we've always tried to do is – you know, I say going into every game, I hope the other team is – I hope they play their very best. I hope all the calls are bad. I hope everything goes against us, and I hope we win anyway. <laughs> so that's, that's kind of always our mentality is we want it to be as hard as possible, and we find a way to win anyway. Because if you can do that, you're going to be a hard out in the state tournament. Well, Coach, I wanted to touch on the First State Community Bank Holiday Classic a little bit. It's coming up this weekend. You were picked as the number one seed in that tournament. Of course, Jackson's in that tournament. Saxony, St. Vincent, the top four seeds. But uh, should be a fun tournament. Uh, you've played well, it seems like, every year in that as well and gone up with the big dogs. So just uh, what kind of tournament do you expect it to be again this year? And and how is some of the competition, how is that going to help you down the road? Well, first of all, I'm excited that there's, there's 12 teams in it this year. And that's something that... I, I give Mark Ruark a lot of credit. Uh, you know, Mark's at Saxony Lutheran there, and he's run the tournament forever. Uh, Tabitha Hahn, who also works on the tournament, does a great job. Uh, those people did a great job going out trying to recruit people, get teams in the tournament. And next year there there will be 16 teams in this tournament. It'll be similar to the boys' tournament. So, first of all, I just think that's great for girls' basketball in our area. I'm excited to see uh, some teams in it like Kelly. Coach Matthew Blitzett over at Kelly uh, doing a fantastic job with those girls this year. Um, I'm glad to see Scott County Central in it. Um, Andrew Pullen, the coach there, and, and then Gary Mize, my best friend in the world, is their assistant coach. And so uh, they've, they've got a lot better team this year. And so I'm excited for, you know, just casual fans of basketball. They maybe get to see some teams that they don't normally get to see play and get to see some of these other players play. And so, I, you know, we know that, you know, from our standpoint going in, uh, St. Vincent has got a really good team. Uh, Saxony, they've got a new coach. He's doing a good job. And then, you know, of course, Jackson, you know, if we if we do make it to the finals and, and we get to play them, they're the biggest school in southeast Missouri, and they always give us trouble. So, you know, we just we hope to go up there and, and, like I said before, get two or three really tough games, some good tough competition, and uh, hopefully we can come out on top. Coach, how – how important, aside from just you know the on the court games, how important are these you know tournament weekends just for team camaraderie and maybe building that chemistry for the state run that you, your team is so hopeful to go on? Yeah, anytime you can advance in in a tournament in a bracket and uh, each round the crowd gets a little bigger. You know, I remember a couple years ago we played Notre Dame up there. Uh, you know, that's back when Kent, we had Kendall Hallwig and all of these kids were still just babies; they were still young. And uh, Kendall was a junior, and we kind of had our coming out party in this tournament against Notre Dame to where people see our scores, and sometimes, you know, we might beat some of these other schools, you know, by a wide margin, but, oh, they're just beating bad teams. And then we got up there, and people saw us play, and they're like, holy cow, these girls can really play. And so that, you know, that just it just validates uh, w- what you're doing in the, in the gym and practice every day. And, you know, that's what we hope is we can go up there and we can either point at something and say, hey, see, we told you so, it's working, we're getting better. Or we can point at something and say, hey, see, we told you so, we, we're not where we need to be, let's get back to work. And so that's what competition does for you. It, it just shows you one way or another, uh, you know, which way you need to push. Is the best yet to come, Coach? Yeah, I, I, we're not even close. Our, 
our JV, so we played five games, and so far our JV has played more minutes than our varsity. The other night against Charleston, you know, we won by a lot. Our starters played 11 minutes in that game. And so, you know, it's Addie Nichols caught me today, and she's like, Coach, are we going to get to play tomorrow night? Or How much are we going to get to play? They're starting to get aggravated at me because they're not getting to play enough. And, you know, some of these kids are seniors. It's their last go-around getting to play ball. And so I get where they're coming from. And, you know, at some point I'm going to have to turn them loose and and let them play more. And, you know, again, hopefully as we move along here with some competition, um, that's going to happen. But I say all that to say this. We're not in a groove yet. We're not playing uh, as well as we can play yet. And I'm just really excited to think about where the ceiling is at for this team because they really do work so hard every day in practice. I mean, if you guys could see – the way these kids practice every day and what they go through to be good, the sacrifices they make and how they push themselves. I mean, they are an incredible group to follow around and just uh, you can't help but admire them, the kind of students they are, the kind of people they are. And, um, you know, all of us that are a part of this journey with them, you know, we're the lucky ones because we've got a front row seat to a group of kids that just doesn't come along every year in a small school like this. One player I wanted to ask about uh, in particular was Maya Gillespie. How have you seen her just fit in with this group? And obviously uh, her coming in for her senior year, she seems like she's been a big presence inside for that group. Yeah, she's kind of a, you know, just a missing piece for us. We It's funny because this whole run that we've been on, we've never had any size. We haven't had any, you know, any any height at all to speak of. But we knew that in this next group that's coming, we had size. and We had some size coming. And so then Maya shows up, and she just adds to that. So we've got, you know, Maya, big body in there. She's a strong kid. And she's really adjusting to the the style that we play. It's a little bit faster than she's used to. And so, she, you know, she's nowhere near where she's going to be by the end of the year either. She's improved 100%, and she's got 100% to go. And so as she continues to improve, it's just going to raise the ceiling of the whole team. And so I'm excited about what she's doing, but then – you know, Jolie Shear, she's a junior, you know, another bigger body force doing a good job. Grace Ansel, a sophomore, big body. And so they're giving these guards, you know, Addie Jaden Preston, these three guards have always basically played with two other guards. And now they're playing with these two big kids at a time. And it's changed kind of the shape of our lineup and, you know, what our team looks like. But I just think our ceiling is so much higher with this group if they will continue to improve. Well, Coach, uh, of course, that was a long time ago, but playing basketball myself, some of the best memories I have is just playing in, you know, some packed gyms and just the community support. And that leads me to my question is, you know, Delta's, you know, like no other, you know, the size that they are, but my, my goodness, the community support that they have and they support this girls' basketball team at second to none and just impressive to see. And it's also fun to see just uh, how they get after uh, or get behind these girls. Yeah, it's it's really neat. Um, we've got a group of fans that they don't have any children on this team. They don't have any grandchildren on this team, no nieces or nephews. They just follow. We, we have an old-school group of fans that just enjoys good basketball, and they started coming back around when these kids were little and started watching the games, and uh, they got excited about it. And if we have a game, we played at Neelyville the other night. That's an hour and a half away from here. The same people were at Neelyville that will be at a home game. And so it's it's really neat to watch the way that they, you know, they pack them in. And, again, I think part of that is they're, this group is really good. But I think the other part of this is they're the kind of kids that you want to root for. They're, just, they're the kind of kids that do things the right way. 
they're the kind of kids that represent our school the right way, and so they make it easy to cheer for them. And so, and I mean, they're just really we. And I've said this for the last three or four years. I mean, the boys, the girls, the baseball, the softball, just all the group of kids that we've had coming through here. We've had a really, really good group of kids come through a school here at Delta. And these kids are, uh, you know, they're part of that. They just happen to also be awesome at basketball. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's really been fun to watch. Coach, with the the fan support that you all have, and I mean, I've been in that gym for some of those big games, and it, it is like no other. Do the girls realize like how special that is, or do you kind of have to tell them like make sure that you enjoy it, make sure you soak it in, because it's not like this everywhere. Yeah, I mean, I don't think they know any different. The younger kids don't, you know, the younger kids don't because they've just grown up in it. And uh, I, you know, it's it's always funny to sit and talk about these things with Kendall Hallwig because she was the first one to kind of go through it, and I remember when Kendall was a freshman and we would, you know, I think we went like 10 and 13 that year and we played in, you know, in front of small crowds and things like that. And so she's really the only one that knew the other side of the coin coming because the other group that just graduated last year, Sierra and Lacey and those kids, uh, Allie Hampton, that whole group, they, when they got into high school, we started winning. And so, and that's carried on to where we're at now today. And so I don't think, I think you're right. Our younger girls, they they may take this for granted. And so every now and then I you know, I just need Kendall to talk to him and just remind him you're right, it's not like this everywhere you go. Well, coach, it's gonna be fun following uh, this team this year. I know the state rankings come out on Monday, so it'll be interesting to see where you come out there. But uh just good luck the rest of the year and hopefully we uh we get another state run in you. Yeah, yeah. I appreciate you guys and uh you know, everything you guys do for sports in southeast Missouri and uh, hopefully it'll be a good turnout at this Christmas tournament. You bet. Well, Coach, again, good luck the rest of the way. Appreciate your time. Thank you, gentlemen. All right, thank you. All right, that was Head Coach David Hebe of the Delta Girls basketball team. And, boy, uh, Clay, one of the most impressive teams, no doubt, in the area. Look, there's some good girls teams. Uh, Notre Dame is very solid. Jackson is very good. Saxony, uh, Dexter, I mean, you you can name some of those. Donovan's very, really, really good. Delta for their size and what they're able to do, the style that they play, it uh, it's very fun. And again, the the fan support that they have is pretty special. I mean, you get some raucous crowds there at Delta. You know, there'll be a couple of games on their schedule that'll be fun to to look at. You have Farmington down the road that'll be interesting to see how they do against them. Park Hills Central and also Portageville. Those are some of the games I'm kind of circling on their schedule to kind of see how things go and. I really do want to see the Delta-Jackson matchup in this Christmas tournament. So it's going to be a fun tournament. I know that you're going to be covering that as well, Clay. So Delta, the number one seed. Uh, they haven't been, the, to my knowledge, the number one seed in the holiday tournament. So, again, we'll see if they can pull it off. It should be, again, a fun tournament. And like he said, expanded bracket coming out next year, expanded bracket this year. So trying to build it up to be more like the Southeast Missouri Christmas tournament as well. Yeah, I mean, if, once we're done here uh, this morning, Rusty, if you want to come hang out, I'll be over at Saxony <laughs> Lutheran for uh, today and tomorrow, and Monday we'll be back at the Show Me Center. And it, I mean, for people that love basketball, like, it doesn't get much better than the tournament time of year. I know we were just at the SEMO Conference Girls Tournament. We were just at the SEMO Conference Boys Tournament. Now we're back into the holiday tournament. Like, it is so much fun just, you know, you get to go hang out and they're paying me to watch basketball, Rusty. Like, yeah. it, it doesn't get any better than that. Yeah, just sit around and watch basketball all day. That's that's not a bad gig for sure. All right, let's shift gears a little bit to the Southeast Missourian Christmas Tournament. Of course, that'll be kicking off 
uh, the day after Christmas, the 79th Southeast Missouri Christmas Tournament. Clay, I know you're going to be a part of that. I'll be involved as well. Uh, let me go ahead and give you the seeds real quick. I know a lot of you already know that, but I'll give it to you as well. So, again, in boys basketball for the Southeast Missouri Christmas Tournament, we have Cape Central, the, the one seed, Jackson 2, Charleston 3, Notre Dame 4. How about this? Woodland 5. A, a lot of my dark horse, Rusty. A lot of people are high on the Woodland Cardinals, so we'll have to maybe get uh, head coach Sean Kinder on here on the show at some point. So Woodland 5, 6 is Kelly. Another solid team. 7 is Oak Ridge. 8 is Scott City. Oran 9. Uh, 10 is Leopold. 11 Chaffee. 12 Metal Heights. 13, Scott County Central. 14 is Advance. 15 is Bell City. And Delta is 16. So, look, I think, honestly, it's going to be Cape Central's t- tournament to lose. I mean, that definitely the favorite. I think Cape Central on paper should get it done. Uh, Cape Central was able to get that win last year with a 60-54 to victory over Jackson. So, I don't know. It, we could see a rematch of last year's. We'll see. Maybe Charleston can sneak in there. I don't know, but it uh, should be another fun tournament. Rusty, i got to ask you your opinion. So if you look at this bracket, I want one dark horse that is a 10th seed or from 10th to 16th. Oh, wow. I have I have my answer of who I think could pull off a couple upsets, but I'm curious uh, what you think. 10 to 16, I think I'm, uh, I think I'm going Chaffee. That was going to be my answer as well. I know their record doesn't show what kind of roster they have, but that's a gritty team. And I think you have to have a gritty team to, to be able to, to make it through a tournament like this, where it is, this year's a little different. You do have a day off before the final day. But to be able to make it through a tournament where you're playing so many consecutive games, you have to have a team that's able to grind it out. And a guy like Blake Yarbrough inside that's for Chaffee, yep. that, I mean, he is a tough cover for nearly anybody. Levi uh, McKinney is another. Year. Levi McKinney. Shelton Simmons is a good piece for them. They have a very good team. Record doesn't show it. But I think that's a team that I would think could make maybe a little bit of a dark horse Cinderella run. Obviously, Woodland being the five seed, that's a team, man. That they, I think they're a fun watch. Uh, they uh, they have an exciting team, and and I think uh, and they can shoot. They can shoot, and 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 that's another thing. Like, does that is that enough to get you through a tournament? It probably could be. Like you said, it does feel like Cape Central is to lose. Jackson, I don't know if they get Blaine Harris back by that point, but it feels like if Cape does get one or two of their injured guys back, it, it feels like this is definitely theirs to lose. But I definitely think you're set up to see some pretty good games in this tournament. You know, I, we mentioned last week, we talked about the conference tournament, the SEMO conference tournament, and I mentioned that the team that impressed me the most was Charleston. Do you give them a chance? You know, they're a team that, uh, I know they're a three seed, so not wouldn't really necessarily be a big surprise per se, but I wouldn't be surprised if they're in the championship game. No, they gave, I mean, up until Jackson Shock reeled off eight straight points there in that in that consolation game, they they had roared back into that game against Jackson. And I mean, Charleston, I mean, you give the ball to Katerion Owens. I mean, that guy is a tough cover. And, and I know we talked about it a bit last week, but it's kind of one of those things where sometimes you just throw your hands up on defense because he just made such a good move. And having a guy like that, I mean, that's that's big for Charleston. And I think... As they continue to go on, those surrounding and supplementary pieces are going to start to get even better. And it wouldn't surprise me, Rusty, if they if they knock off a, a Jackson in, in the semis or something like that. Of course, the matchups we're looking at in the first round to keep an eye on. Always the 8-9 game. The, the Scott City-Oran game should be fun. Uh, I think that Oak Ridge-Leopold game, the 7-10, should be another uh, pretty solid game. But again, I think the most intriguing game in the opening round is Kelly Chaffee. Yeah. Like we mentioned, I think you could possibly see an upset, but Kelly's another solid team. 
um, that that could go the opposite way. Hey, and another thing too, I know it's a little off topic, but this year, new this year, the Show Me Center posted earlier today. Uh, all sessions pass, saving you about six bucks instead of having to pay every time you get there for thirty bucks. You can uh, get a pass to get into every session and. Going to be some long nights at the Show Me Center, but I don't think there's anything better. I love hanging out at the Show Me Center all day, and you get to see some good basketball along the way. So definitely, definitely going to be an exciting week. Yeah, it'll be a good deal to to work on that, and you know, again, watching basketball all day long. Hey, why not? And Semo in the middle of that too. The Simo, I think uh, women's and men both have a doubleheader uh, on that Friday because the championship day is on a Saturday. So yes. get your fix of basketball. So I mean, you're going to be there. You're going to be following. You're going to be churning out the stories, churning out the you know, just all the the notes and from the tournament. So um, I'm sure you're not going to be getting much sleep that that week. Um, but uh, what can we expect from the Southeast Missourian coverage? Yeah, I mean, we as the game goes on. I know I was talking to one of our clerks who he clerk he does a lot of the roundups and stuff remotely from uh, he goes to Mizzou. So from there during the semester, but he'll be back in town. So he said he's going to be uh, doing social media coverage all day, and he's the one. Uh, Cole Lee, if you see a lot of his graphics uh, on social media, he posted the tournament seating graphic. He posted the the graphic the other day that asking what t- recent team was the best uh, Southeast Missouri Christmas yeah. team. So Cole does a lot of really cool graphics. We'll have Justin Trevelyan, our other clerk there, that'll be helping produce stories. And obviously Tony uh, Capabianco, the sports editor, will be there. He's a very good photographer, so he's going to help out with a lot of the art. Uh, and obviously he's going to be taking a lot of the, the story role as well. And same thing for me. I'll be taking a lot of photos and Getting a lot of stories done, and every game from that tournament will be covered. Yeah, I don't, I can't say they'll all make it into print because obviously with timeliness and things like that. But if you go to cmobile.com, our goal is to have every game up, you know, as it happens while this next game after is going. So it'll be a grind at times, I guess. But like I said, we get paid to watch basketball, so I can't ask for anything more. Of course, we will have every game covered here on uh, River Radio Network on CMO ESPN. Eric Shana, myself, so we'll be part of the. Uh, Radio coverage, again, you can check out all all those games on our airwaves. And uh, usually on uh, championship night, uh, we kind of get in conjunction with you guys at the Southeast Missourian, and we webcast that uh, that final game there, the championship. So I don't know that for sure will be happening, but I would assume sure, that yeah. probably will. Uh, again, we've done that in the past. So, again, if you can't come out, at least uh, tune in to the radio airwaves and uh, check out the teams that way. Yeah, and if you if you see uh, Rusty or I out at there, which not if you do, if you're there and you do see us, say hello. Uh, we're uh, we're excited. We like getting to talk to everybody. Uh, and so Rusty will be the guy with the big headphones on, so uh, <laughs> you can find Rusty pretty easy. Yeah, I'll be the one with the, with his mouth moving the whole time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, let's wrap things up here, Clay. Uh, here on the Semo Scramble. Uh, obviously, again, we'll. Getting close to uh, the Christmas time, and I know that you know, it's a fun holiday for me, being able to spend times with family and friends. I hope everyone out there also is able to take that time to, you know, go to seek family and take that time to be with them. You know, some you never know. You never know when uh, you may not get a chance to see them again, or how much long you get to have your family members with you, right? Um, so don't ever take that for granted. So again, I hope everyone has a safe and happy holidays. But I want to want to ask you, Clay. Do you? I, I kind of asked this earlier with uh, head coach Rika Patterson. But do you have any favorite uh, traditions or you know things that you you want to do? I know, for example, I'll start. One thing that my family's always done is we always watch on uh, Christmas Eve the it, "It's a Wonderful Life" uh, that that movie, the the classic, and 
It's always on on NBC. We always watch that. <laughs> we always watch that on uh, Christmas Eve. You know, generally we we have like some some Christmas cookies and maybe some hot cocoa things like that. And that's always a tradition I have grown to like. And you know, and anytime you can kind of build something with your family, I think that's kind of cool. Yeah. So my family, like everybody knows, like it gets chaotic, right? You know, you got to go to one side of the family, go to the next side of the family. So. My dad, he's like, he's big on like, you know, we got to be punctual to everything. So his <laughs> idea was like, hey, let's uh, let's have a Christmas Eve breakfast. So we have some family over and like, you know, my great grandma, she always makes the gravy. My dad will make the eggs, the bacon, you know, one one grandma will make the biscuits and everybody just kind of gets together and everybody hangs out. And let me tell you, I don't think there's anything better than breakfast food. Mm-hmm. And that way you kind of get a break between your meals before you go to the other side of the family at dinner time. So it was a pretty genius move by my father to uh to come up with that idea. So, yeah, Christmas Eve breakfast, we've been doing that for as long as I can remember. And it is, uh, it's a great time. So if, you, if your family has a Christmas Eve breakfast or they don't have a Christmas Eve breakfast, give it a whirl. Would recommend. We we do that on, on Christmas Day. So uh, before we, you know, open presents with the family, my mom is an excellent cook. Shout out, Mom. <laughs> um, she she makes the breakfast casserole. And, oh, ooh, yeah. buddy, it is delicious, you know, homemade. So it sounds like Christmas Day. Gravy. We're all going to Rusty's. Yeah, <laughs> Rusty's I'm telling families. you, we, we do that kind of a kind of a brunch. And then uh, after that, we waddle over underneath the tree and open, start opening up presents. But, yeah, yeah I mean, and pretty cool. You have a favorite movie or, or song? Home uh, Alone. Home, Home Alone, Alone is the best Christmas movie. That's I've watched it like four times already this month, so. What about song? I know there's oh, millions of them out no, there. No, honestly, this is going to be crazy because I love Christmas. hate Christmas music. Really? Yeah. Yep. Big Home Alone guy, though. I'm, uh, my girlfriend and I, we're currently building the Home Alone Lego house. So, taking up a lot of our evenings, but it's it's totally worth it. It's the first cool. one's the best, right? Yeah. Okay. She asked me the night, do you want to watch Home Alone 2? And my exact words were, I'm not watching Home Alone 2. <laughs> I only watch the original. So, yeah. We're, we're original Home Alone only for me. I think uh, I think the Grinch song fits you i think that fits i just don't like christmas music man i love christmas you like we went and looked at christmas lights the other night hot chocolate i'll do all that but there's just something about christmas music that i just i don't know can't do it maybe that's a hot take nah that's awesome though but again folks appreciate the time uh for listening to us and you know letting us jabber your ears <laughs> off but uh hope you've enjoyed uh this the semo scramble here today again we'll see you next time so clay appreciate it man yep thank you for having me all right thanks clay we will not have a show next week, everybody, uh, off for the Christmas holiday. So no show next week. We'll be back at it on Saturday, the 30th of December. Of course, we'll be talking more of the Southeast Missouri Christmas tournament then. So, folks, it's the SEMO Scramble right here on SEMO ESPN. You've been listening to the SEMO Scramble on SEMO ESPN. Tune in every Saturday morning from 9 to 10 for a dash of hometown pride with Rusty Hendricks right here on the SEMO Scramble. Yes, don't miss the latest news, scores, and stories that matter most to local sports enthusiasts. From the Blue Hill and beyond. Right here on SEMO ESPN 1220 AM, 93.5 FM, the SEMO ESPN app, and at SEMOESPN.com.